If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 6, uh, Lord's Prayer this morning, if you want to turn there. If not, the, mer- the words will magically appear on the screen. Do not worry about that. Uh, we are in the middle of a series entitled Prayer 101, giving some basic tenets, some foundations of what it means not just to say a prayer every once in a while, but to become a person of prayer. With that being said, let's pray one more time. God, we pray that you would form us into your image, that you'd help us to become more and more like people that reflect the person of Jesus. It's for the, and it is for this reason that we pray. Amen. So last week, our man, Stephen Mackey, preached an outstanding sermon, and he referenced that this time of year, we are now months away from the New Year's resolution season, in which the majority of New Year's resolutions focus on health, getting in shape, going to the gym, watching your diet, something Along those lines. And so along this time of year, people have kind of put out of their mind the importance that they have set in their life about going to the gym. But going to the gym, it's a great like goal to have, I guess. But really, is it a goal or is it a step? Because sometimes you go to the gym and what happens, especially if you're in my generation, your experience at the gym is a lot like this video describes right here. Introducing the first state-of-the-art fitness facility designed with the millennial in mind. With over 20,000 square feet fully equipped with hundreds of machines and high-speed broadband internet. Dozens of benches where you can comfortably check your Twitter feed or browse Netflix to find the perfect movie to watch TV to. (laughs) (laughs) and a wide selection of Bluetooth-enabled cardio machines fitted to support your tablets. We've got wall-to-wall mirrors so you can snap the best selfie. And we're staffed with accredited personal trainers who know how to get the best shot of the best you. Our tanning boots and hydro massage beds are fully equipped to support USB 3.0. We've got flat screen TVs, hundreds of charging stations, a barista, Froyo, and an Apple Genius bar. There's nowhere more exciting to stare at your phone than hashtag at the gym. Come for the workout, stay for the Wi-Fi. Visit us at hashtag at the gym.com for more info. How great is that? Right? So the goal... It's not just to get to the gym because your experience at the gym might be just like that where you find the perfect movie on Netflix to watch TV too. Because the goal never really is to get to the gym. The goal is never to get to counseling or to the lesson or to go to the library. The goal is not about getting to those places. Those places are good places to go. It's good to go to the counseling. It's good to go to the library. It's good to go get the lesson. But the goal isn't just to go there. The goal is to become a certain kind of person. The goal isn't just to go to the library. It's to become a person who knows certain things. The goal isn't just to go to counseling. The goal is to have someone who deals with, with the things that you push away from yourself. The goal isn't just to go somewhere. It's to become a certain kind of person. C.S. Lewis was wrestling with how there's adversity and suffering in the world, and he processes that through this exact same filter. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, Isn't God supposed to be good? Isn't God supposed to love us? And does God want us to suffer? What if the answer to that question is yes? Because I'm not sure that God particularly wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to be able to love 
and be loved. He wants us to grow up. I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he makes us the gift of suffering. What Lewis is saying is that the goal, it's really not for us to be happy. Even the way that we filter through tough times in our life is that central filter of who are you becoming. It's not just having a good life where there is no suffering. In the same way, that's not just the goal to get to counseling. The goal is for you to become a certain kind of person. Dallas Willard says it this way, God's not so much interested in the accolades that you accrue, but the person you become. This is the filter for life. It's what type of person are you becoming. And so it's also the same filter that we interpret prayer through. The goal of prayer is that same goal of who are you becoming. And you find this even in Jesus' central teaching on prayer, which has to be the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is asked by his followers, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gives them an answer. This is how you pray. When you're going to pray, this is what you say. There was a gentleman many years ago, a church leader named Tertullian, who said the epitome of the gospel is found in the Lord's Prayer. This is what it's all about. And so if you, we can read in Matthew chapter 6 what Jesus says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So when Jesus says, this is how prayer is supposed to look like in your life. It starts off by saying, our father, it's not my father, but all of us have this father. Honored, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. And heaven is a place where God's will is always done. And our prayer is that would not just be the only place where God's will is done, but also down here. The first part of prayer, when it comes to Jesus' perception of it, is that prayer starts by saying, God, we want your will to be done here just as it's done in heaven. Your will be done. Which brings us to Santa Claus. Um, I've gone on a rant about Santa before, but I feel like you've forgotten it. So let me say it again. As a person whose job is to help people like connect to God and to be aware of the presence of God around you, I feel like Santa is really hurting my job. He makes it harder for me. Because think about it, when you have kids, and, and maybe you still believe in Santa. If so, I encourage you to get your phone out right now so I don't ruin your morning. But when we tell our kids that there is this benevolent, loving, fatherly figure with a long, flowy robe way up where there in the North Pole, that if you behave right, then they will give you, he will give you good things. When we tell our kids that, what happens when they get old enough and they start to realize Santa Claus is really just that weird uncle who comes in and dresses up like a weird guy every December 24th. What, what happens when they start deconstructing the notion of Santa that there is not actually this entity who lives up in the North Pole with a long flowy robe that is this benevolent loving figure that gives us stuff if we act right? When they start to deconstruct that, what happens when they start to wonder, is there also really a benevolent loving father figure up in heaven as well? 
do we deconstruct Santa and then think, well, we need to also deconstruct God? The way we communicate sometimes make us do that. Now, that rant is done. Let me talk about the rant at hand. Now, when we think of prayer, unfortunately, Santa Claus often comes into our perception. Because we've been told that Santa will give us the stuff that we want if we don't go naughty, but we're nice. If we're good, then Santa's going to give us what we will and want and desire. And that influences how we go to prayer because sometimes our prayer looks exactly like the wish list that we turn in on December 24th. And we say, this is what I will for my life. I want to be happy, I want to be healthy, I want to be wealthy, I want my kids to never go through adversity, I want my job to go well, I want my house to never leak, I want my car to never run out of gas, I want my wife to be happy because if my ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I want all these things to happen. And so prayer becomes not about God's will being done, but for us to somehow manipulate this divine source so our will is always done. And we miss the central part of what the Lord's Prayer is pushing us to. Let let me read you another quote by uh, two gentlemen named Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon. They write this about the Lord's Prayer. They say, too often we are conditioned to think of prayer as asking God for what we want. Dear God, give me this, give me that. But now in prayer that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are attempting to school ourselves to want what God wants. We receive not what our hearts desire, but rather we become so enthralled with a vision of what God is doing on earth and in heaven that we forget the story that the world has told us that we have nothing better to do than to satisfy our desires. The heart of what prayer, especially the Lord's Prayer, is pushing us to do is to be so enthralled and so wrapped up in God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven that the things that we will and we want and we desire are manipulated so that it lines up with what God wants and wills and desires. The heart of prayer is that we become a certain type of people. Not that we just say certain things for five minutes a day, but we become a certain kind of people that are so wrapped up in a story that it changes everything. Let me, let me, let me tell you a story. James, let me tell you a story. All right. You ready for a story? Okay. Now I want you to imagine James, you're working in a kitchen. I don't know why I picked you for the story, James. You're just sitting there and I couldn't help myself. You're just, you want this. This is your story. Imagine James, you're sitting there in a kitchen. And you're stressed out because you are, you are making something. And it is an important thing you're making. You are mixing, you are stirring, you're blending in all these things. You've got olive oil, you've got pepper, you've got salt, and a ton of other stuff, which I don't know what they would be, but you would know what they are because you're making this thing. And it is so easy for you to get so focused on this that you're like a dog with those collars, you know, like the e-collars so that you don't bite yourself, not that you chew yourself. That would be really weird if you did. But you have the coat on, and all you can imagine is this recipe that you're making, and you lose yourself in it, and all the noise around you goes to white noise, and everything else just slows down, and you're just here. Anyone been there before? You've been there? You know you feel? Yes, you got it. And so you're there, you're dialed in, and everything else is just lost. But for one second, you step back and you realize that you're in this massive kitchen. 
And you're not the chef. You're not the executive chef. You're not the sous chef. You're not the line chef. You're just an assistant, and you're making something that's just salad dressing. And it's good salad dressing, don't get me wrong, but it's just salad dressing. You're not making the entree. You're not making the dessert. You're not making the sides. You're not making the bread, which everyone's very excited about. You're making the salad dressing because you're working at this massive feast. It is the hugest wedding reception you've ever seen in your life, and you've got one small part in it. But if you aren't careful, you start to think that your part is the only part. And prayer, in its best sense, takes you away from your task at hand and gives you a bigger picture of what's going on. So one of these days, I'm going to write this story that's going to become a blockbuster movie. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. Here's the pitch, all right? You ready for this? You want to write it down because it's really good. Okay, there is an operative who works for the CIA. And he's one man, and he can save the world because he has the disguise as a traveling preacher, but he really works for the CIA as a Jason Bourne thing. And there isn't anyone who's worthy to do this. There's only one person who's worthy. He's Norsworthy. That's what I'm talking about. And so he's out in Europe, and he's saving the world. And every day he has these major obstacles that he's got to overcome. He's going to get his Jason Bourne on and save the world. But every so often he gets on his steps sat phone and he calls back to the office and there's the lady there who reminds him that his little operation which seems to be the only operation in the world is really a part of a grand plan where he is just a pawn an important pawn but just a pawn in a bigger picture and that phone call my friends is just like prayer it reminds you that there is a lot bigger story that is unfolding and you have a part it's an important part but it is not the only part of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, And at the heart of what prayer is doing, it's moving us away from this idea that there's this benevolent fatherly figure with the long flowing robe in heaven that we're trying to get him on board with our mission. And instead, prayer is reminding us that we are getting on board with a bigger mission that is breaking out in your school, in your work, in your neighborhood, in your community. And you have a part. It's important, but it is not the only part so prayer is about shaping and forming us to that and that's why at the heart of prayer prayer isn't as much about changing the world and changing god as it is about changing us at the heart of prayer it's about changing who we are and we see this unfold time and time again in the story of scripture think of jesus he's in the garden He knows what's about to happen. There's a cross with his name on it, and he is waiting to go to the cross, and he prays, God, take this cup from me. Jesus doesn't want to go to the cross and die. Luke's gospel accounts, Jesus is sweating drops of blood, expressing his eager desire and his stress and his frustration, his eager desire to get out of this. And he prays, God, take this from me. But the end of that prayer is answered by him saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Prayer has shaped him. Paul in 2 Corinthians tells a story of this thorn that that it is in his side. Scholars debate over what it is. We don't know. Some think they do. I don't know. But they say that Paul has repeatedly prayed for this thorn to be removed and God's answer is not, yes, I'm taking this from you. God's answer is not, okay, I will get this obstacle out of your life. God's answer is, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. What's happening in prayer isn't the world changing out there, but it's them being changed in their heart. 
Sora Kierkegaard talks about prayer. True prayer is really us thinking God's thoughts and desiring what God desires and loving what God loves. Prayer isn't always changing the world out there. It's changing us in here. How many of us have prayed to have that one person who has wronged you? They've done you wrong and you know exactly what they've done and they know exactly what they've done and your prayer is to get them out of your life. You pray for them to get fired or maybe you're more benevolent and so you just want them to be transferred somewhere. Like like a terrible place like Alaska or even worse like Oklahoma. You pray for them to get transferred so you never have to see them again. Because you don't want to see the side of them because every time you see them, your skin just starts to get tight and your blood boils and you're just angry because you want to get justice or revenge, whatever one you want to call it. But what happens? That prayer rarely gets answered. Instead, God changes you to be a person who learns to do the unthinkable and forgives. Or maybe your prayer is that you would have more money. I need more. God, give me more money. I really need you to give me more daily bread. I don't want just daily. I could use weekly bread or yearly bread or a lifetime of bread in my bank account right now. And you pray repeatedly, God, give me more, give me more, give me more. And instead, what you're answered with is an ability to live on less. You've prayed for an obstacle to be removed. You pray for this thing to be taken out of your life and instead God gives you the ability to overcome and to climb that obstacle. What prayer is doing, it's not changing the world out there, it's changing you in here. As Kierkegaard talked about, prayer is you learning to think God's thoughts and desire what God desires and to love what God loves. Prayer is changing you. And so I can imagine some of us today I've prayed prayers over and over again that never seem to get answered. And I wonder if it's because we're praying just a slight bit off course. We have that person that we love, we care about, and we want what's best for them. And we know what's best for them. And honestly, you probably do. I'm not even saying that sarcastically. You probably know what the right thing for them to do is. And you've prayed over and over again. If they would just do this, this would make things so much better and easier and the world would be right and Thanksgiving would be right and when you saw them at work, it would be right. If they would just do what you prayed for them to do and you can't seem to do it. No matter how much you pray, you can't change them and maybe what our prayers need to start becoming is God help me to love that person as they are. I want to change them. I know what they should do, but God, I can't ever get them on board with me. And so maybe what God wants us to do is to pray to love them just as they are. Maybe your prayer is you want more of something, more success, more recognition, more opportunities for your kids, whatever more is. Some are good, some aren't so good, but you want more and more. And maybe what our prayer needs to be is God help me to be at peace with life just as it is. I want to change the world, but maybe what God wants to do instead is to change you in here. Because one of the basics of prayer, prayer 101 stuff, is that prayer does somehow change the world, but often what prayer changes most is you right in here. And that's often where healing shows up. Now, there are some things in life that you see the results like instantly. 
Like you incorporate this or you acquire this or you have as, and as soon as you do, like you see the benefits like immediately, like, like a parachute, right? Like, you know, a parachute works like as soon as you pull the ripcord, otherwise you, you quickly find out it didn't work. All right. But it's immediate, but there are some things that don't show up like that. You don't know if the investment paid off till years down the road. You don't know if this lifestyle change is really helping until years down the road and you're a better person. You don't know these things until a long time down the road. And I think prayer often really is one of those things. That for prayer to take its course and to really work, it takes time. Any fans of uh, Jimmy Fallon here? Any Jimmy Fallon's? Okay. So he does these uh, thank you notes like every week, like Thursday night or something. And so he did a, a thank you night, uh, thank you note right around Easter. I think it was right after Easter. And he wrote, uh, thank you people who show up to church just on Easter Sunday. You're f- for being the people who are just like those who go to the dentist and floss the day before. Which is, which is great. Now, as, as a Christian, like as a pastor, I love CEOs, people who show up just Christmas, Easter only. I love them just the same. There's no shame in that game. We're glad you're here, whatever. whatever. But what Fallon is saying is like, if you're going to the dentist and you floss right before, it's not like the dentist is going to go, oh, you must floss all the time because you flossed one time right before. No, flossing is a benefit that is given to you by doing it over and over again. She's going to know if you're not really flossing when you get into her chair. What Fallon is trying to point out is like if, if you go to church, the benefit comes when you continually do this because it shapes you. And the same thing with prayer. The benefit of prayer happens because it's forming you into a certain kind of person. And often the way you see that is when you are in moments of adversity. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying drops of blood and he prays, not my will, but thy will be done. You see the benefit of prayer in his life. Because all along he's been teaching his disciples, if you're going to pray, what you're going to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done. And so when he is squeezed, the juice that pours from him is that very prayer in his moment of adversity. He's been shaped and altered to being a person who lives not my will, but thy will be done because he's prayed it so much. I asked one of my uh, good friends about his prayer life not too long ago, and I asked that. I asked him, I said, how can you tell that prayer is really making a difference in your life? And he says, because I'm gentler with my family. That's not that he had like some special insight and he knew where to go and make a career decision. Those things sometimes happen in prayer. I'm not debating that, but I think the real thing that happens in prayer is that it changes you. And for him, it's in his family life. When I pray, I have a routine and a liturgy that I go through, and, and maybe we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we talk more just like the nuts and bolts and specifics of, of prayer. But one of the, the first things I always pray about when I, when I pray is patience. Like I pray that I would be a person of patience with my family. There's a proverb about a person without self-control is like a city without walls. And so I pray that I would have patience. Those walls would be built up in me, that I would be a person of patience, especially with my family. And so I know when prayer is working, when I'm frustrated and I don't say a smart-out comment. And I know it's hard for some of you to imagine me making a smart-out comment, but that's when I know prayer is working because there's a tendency for me to be short or to lose my temper or to be a smart-aleck in an inappropriate way. And when those moments don't happen, it's because I see prayer is working because it's not changing the context around me, but it's changing my heart, my character. That's the goal of what prayer is trying to do. And so what I want to do right now 
is I want to go through a prayer exercise. And so I'm going to invite Casey to come up here. And I want you to enter into this prayer exercise. I had a, a friend, and I think I've told you this before, a friend of mine, Ian, was talking with a, a spiritual director a while ago, and he was complaining about how frustrated he was with his life, and his spiritual director said to him, Ian, stop it. This is your life. These are the terms. What's the invitation? And sometimes we're frustrated because our life isn't the way we want it to be. And we don't like the terms we've been given. And so all we do is we do this to God. We get in this posture. And so what I want to do, I'm going to grab this chair and I want you to help you guys walk through this. But especially people in my tradition, prayer is something that we typically do like from the shoulders up. It's like just what you say. In the Bible, there's so much about dancing, of raising your hands, of clapping, of celebrating. And this response to God isn't just from here to here, but it's with your entire body. And so with this kind of prayer, I'm going to invite you to pray with your whole body. And I don't want you to dance, or I've seen some of you dance before. We don't want that happening right now. But what I want you to do is, if you're willing to do this, I want you to start and think about something in your life that you're frustrated about. Maybe it's someone in your life, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a career. And I want you to think of the frustration you have. And start by just closing your hands. Just making a fist. And then if you can, maybe you you cross your legs and you create distance between whoever's on the other side, whoever that is. Maybe it's God that's on the other side. And you cross your legs as a way to create distance. So your hands are tight, your legs are crossed. And if you get scared, if someone comes up and scares you, what, what is it that your arms always do? Where do they go if you get startled? Right here, right? There's something about your heart, like this energy. There, I, I don't know what it is. I'm not a biologist, but I know that's where we all go. And I want you to go this direction right here. If you can close your eyes, I want you to think of your posture right now towards the world and more importantly to God. Your arms are crossed. You're protecting your heart. Your legs are separating you. Your hands are clenched, holding on to frustration, anger, resentment. They're in no shape or form to receive anything. And I want to ask you, what part of your life is like this to God? Are you frustrated because your career isn't this? Isn't this thing that you want it to be? Are you resentful because your marriage isn't what you dreamed it would become? Are you resentful because something has just gone astray and it's not what it should be? And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you, are you willing to pray not my will but thy will be done for that area? Are you willing to say not my will but thy will be done? And if you are, what I want you to do first is to put your feet back on the ground. Put both feet on the ground. And then bring your hands, which are still clenched, and put them on your thighs. And if you're willing, would you open your hands as a way of saying, I release this. And I'm open to you, God. And this is my life, and these are the terms. And it's not my will, it's not my desire, it's not my thoughts, it's not my dream, it's just my reality. 
and let me receive my life and my terms and my experience just as it is. So that I can say not my will, but thy will be done. God, would you come in this moment and be the loving, benevolent, heavenly father, heavenly mother who comforts your children. And as we open ourselves up to you, may we know that you are as close as the air around us. And your presence is like the oxygen in our lungs. It is keeping us going. And that even though things are not as we wish and as we want and as we desire them, that your will and your grace and your spirit is enough. And even though what we hold on to isn't what we dream, it is enough because you are here with us. And we need you. And so we say, not my will, but thy will.